scripture today is 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be long glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I want to invite our children to Children's Church. Um, Kathy is out, but Dana's going to step in. So, um, And she knows what she's doing, so don't try anything funny. Okay, uh, before we pray, I just want to make an announcement. This is in the Free, Evangelical Free Church of America. This is Church Multiplication Sunday. And so this is we're going to take some time and pray for... Um, church plants that are, are happening around the world. Also, it's traditionally, this is Pentecost Sunday, so that's why we have fire behind me. <laughs> so that you know, represents the tongues of fire from Pentecost. Okay, so let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we're so grateful that, um, as the song said, we get to call, you invite us to call you Father, that through the Spirit we might call out Abba. And Lord, what a wonderful relationship that is between us and you. Uh, Lord, the, the God of Islam, Allah, he is so distant and aloof. He, he has nothing to do with those people. They are, they are removed from him. And so the idea that you would want us to call you Father is offensive to them. But Lord, it is glorious to you. And so we're thankful that you've invited us into your family, that through Jesus Christ we're adopted because of our big brother and because of what he's done. Lord, thank you for that. And Lord, I want to pray for um, just the many church plants that are going on throughout uh, the Evangelical Free Church, but also just in general. Um, Lord, church planting is a very difficult job, uh, but one that shows your glory wonderfully because they can't do it on their own. And if they go out and they plant a church and it is devoid of, of your spirit, it is empty of your word, Lord, it may fill a stadium but it would be an utter failure. Uh, Father, the, the real church plant is when you show up, when your Holy Spirit is present, when your word is preached, when Jesus is exalted. And so we pray for church plants all across the globe that are doing that very thing. Would you multiply them and make them successful? Lord, would this be part of your work to bring revival uh, to the world, but to our nation and to not just our state, but Lord, to our city as well? And Father, if you have a plan for Trinity Community Church in the future with church planting, would you show us what that is and bring us connections and help us to understand? 
whether it's supporting or sending or participating or just praying for people. Uh, Lord, we want to be involved in that. And Father, we also want to pray for our brother Dan, uh, who is in uh, Boron, preaching at First Baptist. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning that the worship would be pleasing to you, that uh, there's, there's songs that they sing together, that the prayers that they offer, that the scriptures that they read together, Lord, that it would be pleasing to you. And would you speak clearly through your servant Dan to that church? Lord, address their needs, address their um, they're, they're where they need help, drawing closer to you through your word. Lord, I pray that you would use Dan for that purpose. And so bless him this morning for his service to them. And Father, we also want to pray for uh, Caitlin Cox as she is uh, moved to uh, Wisconsin. Lord, I, I pray that she would um, settle into her new uh, place there really well. And Lord, most importantly, would you lead her to a good, solid church that would feed her on your word, draw her close to Jesus Christ, keep her eyes focused on him, and fill her with the Holy Spirit through the work of the, um, the church's worship and service. And so be with her as she goes. And, and we'll miss her, but Lord, we, we commend her to your hands and pray that you would um, watch over our sister. And uh, Lord, we also uh, now turn to your word in that same expectation. Lord, would you be with us as we look to your word? Help us to see, to understand, uh, to grasp what it is that you're teaching us this morning. And uh, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you apply it to our, our minds, our souls, and our hearts. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So speaking of church planting, um, this week I heard in a podcast about a family who's church planting, and then I read in a book that I happen to be reading about the same family. Um, it's the Butterfields. There are Reformed Presbyterian church planters in Durham, North Carolina. And uh, they homeschool five kids, and they practice something that they call radical radical ordinary hospitality. So I don't know how you put radical and ordinary together, but they do this thing called radical ordinary hospitality. What happens is at about 5 p.m., mom starts cooking for an unknown number of people. No clue who's going to show up. She just starts making a bunch of food. So uh, in the book that I was reading, Gospel Bind by Colin Hansen and Sarah Zalistra, uh, they summarize her story kind of like this. Nearly every evening, church members or neighbors drop by for the evening meal and family devotions. That's right. Not every once in a while. Nearly every evening. Her guests help her stuff laundry back into the dryer and set out plates and cut up vegetables. They talk through their days, hear how they can help people in the neighborhood, and offer prayers for those who sit around the table. There's always another seat around the Butterfields table, whether you believe in Jesus or not. The surprising part is you would never guess where the Butterfield, where Butterfield honed these hospitality skills. The gay and lesbian community of Syracuse, New York, more than 20 years ago, as a leftist, lesbian, English professor at Syracuse University, Rosaria Butterfield watched AIDS creep into her community. The, the disease brought homosexual people together, and they formed a coalition around hospitality. So at the time, Rosaria was in a committed homosexual relationship, opposed to Christianity, had no idea what that was all about, and she saw, as AIDS was ravaging their community, as it was being threatened, she saw them all draw together, and she learned lessons about hospitality to them. She go, the, uh, uh, the book goes on. That hospitality was critical to a group of people who were then on the margins. Many had been estranged from their families and were viewed with suspicion by society. By coming together regularly for meals and conversation and encouragement, 
the gay community was forming its own family. What they summarize that section is, is uh, she, that's Rosaria, practices a different kind of hospitality now with her husband, Kent. Now, I'm not here, I'm not, I'm not advocating homosexuality and saying that's the way. What I want to point out, though, is they recognize something. That when, when their, their community, when their, their people group was threatened, not only by a society that at that time was opposed to them, but suddenly by this ravaging illness that was sweeping through their ranks, the way they responded was to draw together in a community. And so there's something on that. There, there's something that, that God has created us that way to draw together in community. And they experienced that. So the, the Butterfields, as, as Rosaria left the homosexual community advocate, advocacy, the lifestyle, and married and, and had children, um, she's now taking those lessons learned about what she saw work with that community and saying, this is biblical hospitality. This is what biblical hospitality can look like. Um, the Butterfield story is, doesn't end there. It, it's really interesting. So they moved into a cul-de-sac at the end of this, this uh, street. And the house across the street, the people that lived there had moved. And a new person moved in. And they, they befriended the guy. His name is Hank. Um, he's a recluse. Uh, and uh, it took a while for them to connect with him. So for example, the first time they went over and rang Hank's doorbell and introduced themselves, he was kind of like, yeah, hi, bye. And then he dismantled the, door, the doorbell. So they couldn't come and, and welcome him again. But they pursued him. Uh, the problem was Hank suffers from clinical depression, PTSD, ADHD, and social anxiety. So he was hard to reach. But they were purposeful and intent on, on connecting with him. Um, they had to be intentional. Um, one morning, as Rosaria is doing her devotions, um, the DEA comes swinging through their backyard and raided his house and arrested him because he had a uh, meth lab in his house. And so they were surprised at what's going on here. So when they arrested Hank and they took him away, the neighbors, this is from Rosaria's uh, book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. She says, as the neighbors filed into our front yard, I scrambled eggs, put on a big pot of coffee, set out the Bibles, and invited them in. Who else but Bible-believing Christians can make redemptive sense of tragedy? Who else can see hope in the promises of God when the real lived circumstances look dire? Who else knows that the sin that will undo me is my own, not my neighbors, no matter how big my neighbors may appear? Where else but a Christian home should neighbors go in times of unprecedented crisis? Where else is it safe to be vulnerable, scared, lost, and homeless? So this is, this is the, the way they practice this radical, ordinary hospitality. And just as a kind of a punctuation point at the end of this, the Butterfields took in Tank. Tank is Hank's 100-pound pit bull dog, and they brought him into the house. And, and I think, if I remember right, if I remember what Rosaria was saying, I think Hank's passed away, so he's their dog now. Um, terrifying, <laughs> but they took him. So what's going on here is this idea of community and how community can form. For the gay community in the 90s, they were the oppressed, the marginalized, the outside. And yet they drew together and they found community and strength by drawing together because they were hitting on something that God had built into all of us, which is we're not meant to be alone. We're supposed to be together. And so what Peter's going to tell us this morning is he's going to show us how it is that we form this community of elect exiles, or really what forms it around us. 
And so that's where he goes. Now, remember where we've been with this. This is about hope in the exile, right? This is hope while we're scattered around the world when we don't have our homeland. And what Peter has just been harping on is suffering, suffering, suffering over and over again. If you suffer for what's doing right, that's gracious in God's sight. If you should suffer for a while, that's, it's God's will. And so the cap of that is this. And he reminds us, the end of all things is at hand. In other words, it's almost over. Now, what does he mean when he says the end of all things? When he says end, he doesn't mean end as in like turn off the light switch and it's over. The word is telos, which is the end, the completion, the summation, the bringing together of all the intents and purposes of it. What it was created for is about to come. So the end of that, all of creation and what, it's, what it was created for is at hand. What he's saying is we're living in the last days. Now, how can he say that? He wrote that 2,000 years ago. Is it still the last days? Well, yeah, it is, as long as we're not trying to count days and go, how many are there? What he's talking about is, is it's the, the, the summing up of all the stages that, that the earth has gone through. So if you're dispensational, it's the dispensations. Um, I don't think that's, that's really a great way to do it because we don't get it broken out for us in Scripture. The closest we get is, this is the last days. And why do I say that? Well, right at the beginning of the letter, Peter said he, has, he was foreknown, speaking of Jesus, before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in the last times for your sake. So Jesus coming, Jesus being born and living on the earth, inaugurated the last days, the summing up of all things. So that's his life, death, and his resurrection and his ascension began this earthly point in history. Hebrews even says that. In Hebrews 9, verse 26, it says, But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Jesus' arrival is the mark, this is the beginning of the last days. So we're in the home stretch. What we're waiting for is Jesus' return. And when Jesus returns and the events that, that um, accompany that, that will be it. What happens after that, we're not looking for something after that. Then it's the new heavens and the new earth. Then it's sin and death and hell and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. Then God wipes away every tear. Then we dwell with him. There's no temple anymore. He dwells in the midst of us. That's, that's the final state. We're not there yet. We're in the last days before that. So what marks the last days? What will the last days be like? Well, Peter doesn't say it explicitly here, but I know he's thinking it. And the reason I know he's thinking it is because he said it before. In Acts chapter 2, when he, he is explaining to the crowd why they're speaking in tongues and why they're preaching the gospel in all of this, he quotes um, Joel. He says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So what marks the last days as we wait for Jesus' return? He's ascended into heaven. He hasn't left us alone. He has sent us his spirit. So these last days are marked by the arrival of the spirit. Isn't it great to be preaching that on Pentecost? It's just so appropriate. I didn't do that on purpose. Um, but this is what, what God is doing at this stage, this last stage. His spirit is upon us. As a matter of fact, Peter also said at the beginning of his letter, remember how he addressed us? To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, 
to obedience or for obedience to Christ Jesus and for the sprinkling with his blood. The sanctification of the spirit. That's what the spirit's doing now. He's sanctifying us. And sanctify means sanctus, which is Latin for holy. He's making us holy. So the spirit is working in us and he's conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what the spirit's up to now. These last days are there to, to make us more like Jesus. So he's, he's doing these things in and through us. These last days are the days when his spirit is poured out on all flesh, not just prophets and kings and judges, but all flesh. And not just for a specific little period of time to go do this particular task. He's sealed us. He's surrounded us. He's, he's enveloped us. And he will not be removed if we disobey. He will be grieved if we disobey. This is the age of the spirit. This is the great news of what God is doing here. And so Peter says that the, the last days are now. The, the end of all things is at hand. What should we do then? If the Holy Spirit marks these last days and we're doing that, therefore, he says, this is what you should do. Be self-controlled and be sober-minded. Why? Well, for the sake of your prayers. So what's he getting at here? He's, he says sober-minded. In, in Greek, it's just the word sober. So be sober. So step one, don't be a drunk. But I'll tell you what, you can be a teetotaler and be absolutely inebriated on pride about that. You, you can have never touched a drop of alcohol and be filled with a sense of power and be drunk on power. You could be opposed to any alcohol and never have it cross your doorstep and be drunk with politics. It, it's possible to be sober-minded, or it's possible to be drunk-minded on more than just alcohol. And that's what he's getting at. So he's saying, be sober-minded. Be clear-thinking. Watch out. Understand what's going on. Don't let these things delude you. You remember last week I said we could be segregated off and be our own little group, and then we're not part of the dispersion. We're not in the dispersion. We've made our own little homeland. Or we could wind up blending in, and then we're not exiles. We're part of the dispersion. What, what we're called to do is be elect exiles in the dispersion. We're called to be here and be connected, but not be part of it. And so that would be sober-minded, is to not be so enveloped, so swallowed up in what's going on in the dispersion that you forget where your homeland is. Be sober-minded. Don't get drunk on those things. And also, you have to be self-controlled. And the word there means self-control. That was no fun. But I'll tell you what, if you're not sober-minded, you won't be self-controlled. If Speaking just of alcohol, the first thing you lose when you get drunk is judgment. That's why you see drunk people do stupid things. Yeah, of course I can jump off this building into that pool. Maybe that's not the best idea. If you were sober, you wouldn't make that bad decision. Judgment's the first thing to go. I think it's the same with anything else that makes you drunk. Power, position, lust, fame, whatever it is, the first thing it'll do is corrupt your judgment. So he says, be sober-minded and self-controlled. They're not at odds, they're together. And that's what we have to do. We have to have self-control. Now remember, this is marked by the spirit, right? So shouldn't we be spirit-controlled? Yes, absolutely, be spirit-controlled and be self-controlled because the spirit's gonna enable you, enable you to be self-controlled. He's gonna breed in you a desire to be self-controlled, to war against those things. And, and so that's our call. Why? For the sake of prayers. 
for the sake of your prayers. Do you see what Peter's assuming? He's assuming you're praying, number one. And, and number two, he's assuming that you care how you pray, that you want to pray well. And so he tells us, here's, I know you're praying. Here's how to pray well. Don't be so wrapped up in the world that you can't see straight. But don't be so detached from the world you can't pray for it. So we can pray for Uvalde. We can pray for the Ukraine. We can pray for, what was the one, in, there was another shooting recently in Texas, I think it was. Um, we can pray for these things. We can be aware of these things. But we don't have to be so wrapped up in them because they're not our homeland. They are concerning and they're real. So be sober-minded and be self-controlled so that you can pray effectively for these things, so that you can pray effectively for church planting around the globe, so that you can care about the things that you should care about for the sake of your prayers. Actually, we have an example of previous exiles and how they should pray. Jeremiah 29, 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So we have a pattern for us. When Israel was sent into exile, they were told, pray for the city in which I'm sending you. It ain't your city, but pray for them and seek their welfare. And so that's just a beautiful pattern for us. That's what we should be doing. That's how you can pray well. But you can't do that if you're so wrapped up into the city in which you've been sent that you can't see how, what's wrong with it, or you're so detached from it that you would never be corrupted by that, that you can't connect and say, I can pray for those things. So for your prayers. Verse 8, he goes on, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Keep loving one another earnestly. How can you command somebody to love somebody? You must love each other. Now go do it. It's not helpful, is it? He, he's, he's telling us this because the Spirit will use that in us to generate that love for each other, but you have to be intentional about it. That's why he says keep loving, uh, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep working at it. Keep struggling with it. And he knows it's not easy. How do I know he knows it's not easy? Because he says, because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, when he says love covers a multitude of sins, he is not saying love is redemptive like Jesus' death and resurrection were. He's not saying that, that if you love enough, then your sins will be forgiven. What he's saying is within the community that you're loving and worshiping together with, there will be sins that people bring up against you and that you will inflict on others. We're going to do it. We're just human. But if you love each other, you'll endure those. You'll let, you'll let minor sins slide. You won't necessarily call somebody out because they said something bad about you or something like that. Not, not that we won't ever address them, but love will cover it. Love will help us to work through those things. You know, brother, maybe you shouldn't have said that. That might not have been so thoughtful. Rather than anger or frustration, and you jerk, I can't believe you said that about me. There's, there's a way that love can cover a multitude of sins. Now, there are some sins which a love will not cover. Notice he doesn't say, since love covers every single sin. A multitude, it covers a lot. So from 1 John chapter 5, John reminds us, there are some sins that aren't covered. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. 
There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should, that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that leads to death. So there are degrees of sins. And so if people have little sins, they, they lie about you intentionally or unintentionally, they gossip a little bit, something like that. Love can cover that as we address it in a loving and a careful way. And then there are sins that we just have to address. That this, this is not okay. This is not excusable. That's why Jesus gave us church discipline. That's why it's so slow and methodic and painful sometimes is because we're trying to turn somebody back. We're, we're trying to figure out, will this sin lead to your death? Or is it a sin that you have embraced so deeply that you don't want Jesus anymore? You can't assume that right off the bat, nor can you dismiss it right off the bat. So we go through church discipline. But in our community, as we're struggling together, as we're, as we're trying to form this, this community of exiles, love covers a multitude of sins. Don't expect your neighbor to be perfect. They will let you down every time. <laughs> Don't expect me to be perfect. I will let you down. But let love cover that. Let love cover those sins. And then verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality. I think a minimum here is greet visitors. Greet each other. Just say hi. How you doing? Spend a moment or two chatting. That's at least a minimum of, of hospitality. Now, I, to be fair, I think the Butterfields have an extraordinary gift of hospitality. I don't think that we're all equipped to do that. I would stumble over that if I was trying to be the, the Butterfields. I know I would put my foot in my mouth more often than not. I think, I think they have just an extraordinary gift of hospitality. But there's some principles we can learn from that, too. As, as we observe this gift being exercised in them, we can learn a couple of things. We can say, well, first of all, it's not easy. Second of all, we can be intentional about it. You can try. You can labor at it. That's why we're told, we're commanded, show hospitality. So we, we can wrestle through those things. We can be open to having somebody over when I haven't cleaned my house yet. Ah, but, but I have to straighten it up first. I may not have enough food tonight. You know what? There's probably leftovers you can drag out or something. Practicing hospitality is stretching, and it's not difficult. And therefore, Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Because <laughs> you're going to grumble. You're gonna, it's, it's difficult to do. It, it exposes some of ourselves. It exposes a little bit about, I actually have uh, dirty clothes that, that need to be put away, or I, I don't fold my laundry as it comes out of the dryer, or I didn't mop the kitchen floor this week, or you know, all of these things, it exposes us. And so what he tells us is show that hospitality to one another without grumbling. So start here in the household of God. Start with our family. Show hospitality to one another. And don't grumble about it. Now, don't grumble out loud. You might grumble in your spirit, but you can pray through that. But don't grumble out loud. So he's, he's warning us. The Bible is, is such a realistic document. He knows this is going to be hard. It was hard 2,000 years ago. It's going to be hard now. But do it. Why? How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's working in you. He's working through you. And so we'll talk about gifts next. He goes in verse 10. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So here again is the Spirit, right? As, as you've received a gift, the Bible calls them pretty consistently gifts of the Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in you, working in you. Now, when we talk about gifts of the Spirit, there, there's a couple of 
warnings we got to do first. First of all, there's about three different lists in the Bible. They don't agree. I don't think there's one gift that's on all three lists. So don't look for, here's, here's the inventory of, of gifts, and I'll just check off the ones that I think I have. There could be gifts in there that, that we don't know about, that wouldn't be called a gift. And the other thing is, will you know if you have a gift of X? Not if it's a spiritual gift, you might not, because it's not for you. It's for everybody else. As you receive a gift, use it to serve one another. So you receive a gift of hospitality, you use that to serve each other. You, you receive a gift of encouragement, you use that for other people. You may not recognize it. Somebody could come up to you and say, man, you have a, you have a profound gift of speaking. Oh, no, I don't. Well, actually, yeah, you do. <laughs> and it's because we recognize it, not because you recognize it. So I get really suspicious of those uh, spiritual gift inventories that start with, what do you like doing? <laughs> That's not the answer, gang. <laughs> You might not know you like doing it. It's, the better question would be take this and hand it to everybody in your church and let them tell you what gift you have. But what we're supposed to do is, as the Spirit has given us these gifts, we're supposed to use them to serve one another. Why? How? Well, because God's given them to us. They're his things. He's handed to us. And we are to be good stewards of God's very grace. So those gifts that he gives to us that we employ for each other, that's God's grace poured out to you. That's him sending his grace to you. That's him filling you with his grace through the person next to you, through you giving to somebody else. That's great news. I don't have to do this. This is, this is the spirit doing it in me. I don't have to muscle it up. But don't forget the reality here. It's difficult. So do it without grumbling, he said while he grumbled. So now he breaks it up and he talks about two specific things, speaking and serving. So whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Um, I think it's tempting to think this is talking about preaching. Um, but that's not the word there. The word there is, is not for preaching, it's for speaking. And so in Tim Keller's book on preaching, if you've been through the new members class, you've heard this before, but stick with me. Uh, he, in, in the introduction to his book on preaching, he talks about three different levels of word ministry within the church. And so this is what he says. Biblical scholar Peter Davids concludes that when Peter writes of the spiritual gift of speaking, he's not referring to casual talk amongst Christians, nor is he referring only to the actions of pastors or other church officials, but rather to Christians with one of these verbal gifts of counseling, instructing, teaching, or evangelizing. In this category of ministry, Christian men and women aren't preaching per se. They prepare and present lessons and talks. They lead discussions in which they present the word of Christ. So what Keller says is there's, there's these three levels, and this is how he explains it. He says, every Christian needs to understand the message of the Bible well enough to explain and to apply it to other Christians. Do you understand the message of the Bible well enough to explain it and to apply it to somebody else or yourself? And to his neighbor in informal and personal settings, that's level one, so that's just letting the word of God sees in our speech as we talk to each other, as we talk to our neighbors. That's level one word ministry. But there are many ways to do the ministry of the word at level two that take more preparation and presentation skills than, that um, yet do not consist of delivering a sermon, which is level three. So there's, there's a step in between. Um, one of them we saw this morning, Harlan was teaching Sunday school. That, that's kind of a level two 
way of presenting the word. And then what I'm doing more is level three, where I'm standing here and I'm picking up the scriptures and saying, thus saith the Lord. And, and that takes different types of gifts. It takes different types of, types of preparation. So what Peter tells us is one who speaks as if you're speaking the oracles of God. So in other words, be careful how you speak. When we're talking to each other, we're trying to build this community, right? We're trying to build each other up. We're trying to help um, as, or work with the spirit as he's sanctifying us. And therefore, you need to be speaking, but you need to be speaking the oracles of God. As God has spoken through us, we can speak to each other. So that, that requires patience, kindness, um, some of those other things. At times, sharpness, uh, rebuke, but, but we have to be careful and, and think, I'm in, I'm, am I in level two here? Am I speaking in a Sunday school lesson? No, I'm in level one. Okay, well, then I'm still speaking the words of God. And how can I speak to my brother and sister well and carefully? And then the other thing he mentions is service. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Serving the church is really important. We wouldn't have communion this morning if Bob hadn't come and drug the table out, if Judy hadn't filled the containers. We wouldn't have it. If they weren't serving, these things wouldn't happen. If we gathered on a Sunday morning and the place was a wreck, it would be because somebody didn't come and serve us by cleaning the facility. So service is those kind of things, and it can be outside the, the, the structure of the church. You could be serving somebody by going to their home and visiting them, by helping them fix their refrigerator or their air conditioning or whatever it is. That's a form of service. So he says, whoever serves, and, and that's not an exclusive group, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of God, by the strength that God supplies. If you serve in your own strength, you're going to have a really hard time. There will be grumbling. So ask yourself two questions. Would you be glad to do what you're doing if no one said thank you? Would you still be okay with that? Number two, would you be glad to be doing what you're doing if everyone says thank you? Because you can get pride in either one. You can, you can get caught up in that by, by focusing more on yourself. Instead, what you should be doing is saying, I'm doing this for the Lord. This is the strength that God has provided, and nobody said boo to me, and that's okay because it wasn't for them, but I hope they're blessed by it. Or everybody notices and says thank you, and you can say, praise the Lord. You know, God, God is just so good. Thank you. you know, I'm, I'm grateful to serve. You're doing it in the strength that God provides. If you do it in your own strength, you're going to be miserable, or you'll make everybody else miserable because you'll be so persnickety about it. So do it that way. And why is that? What is the goal of all of this? Why do we gather on Sunday morning? Why do we gather together in small groups? Why do we study the scriptures together? Why do we pray together? Why are we paying to turn these lights on? The very next thing he says is, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The reason this church exists is so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Notice that he did not say, in order that in everything God may be glorified through us. That would be trying to do it without Jesus. So what's he getting at here? In order that God may be glorified, that was what, the reason God created everything that he's created. The reason there is a universe instead of nothing is so that God has a theater to show his glory, to demonstrate how wonderful he is, a place to, to act out his, his great 
and wonderful promises, his great attributes, a place to, to enact those for his glory. And so in everything we do it that God may be glorified, but it's through Jesus Christ. We're a new community. We're something different. In this stage, in these last days, instead of being manifest in Abraham's kids, his sons, instead of being manifested in, in, um, in um, Israel's sons, the 12 tribes, instead of being demonstrated in the nation of Israel as that family grew to fill a nation, instead of being demonstrated in the elect exiles who returned from the, from the um, exile to the promised land, that, that remnant that came back, now it's branched out to the entire world so that God might be glorified in, through Jesus Christ in what Jesus has done by saving all the nations, by drawing all people together, by drawing everyone together. That is through him, and we're part of it, but we're the recipients of the salvation rather than the main people on the stage. So as you're reading your scriptures and you're looking and you're saying, who is the star of this show? Let me just save you a step, but it's not you. You are not what the Bible is about. It's about Jesus Christ, but you have a part to play because as you delight in him, as you worship him, as you are thrilled by what he's done, as you share that with other people, God is glorified through Jesus Christ and you get to be the mouthpiece of it. That's a tremendous blessing. And that's what he's doing in bringing us all together into this family. So let's go back and look real quick at what Peter has told us the Spirit is accomplishing in and through us as, we, as he builds this community of exiles. First of all, prayer. That your prayers may be effective. Who doesn't want effective prayers? Hospitality. That we would show hospitality to one another and that that might spill over even into the community around us. That the world might be welcomed in. Speaking God's word, however you speak God's word. Sometimes we can look at that and go, that's the pastor's job. No, it's all of our job. Speaking God's word, service, serving one another, serving the community. And what's the point? It's all to God's glory. That's why you're here. That's what you're here for. That's what you signed up for. And so Peter, some people think this is the end of the original book. Like he finished writing here and then he picked it up and, and added on afterwards. Um, I don't think so. I think he was just overwhelmed with the thought of what God is doing in the community, and so he erupts in a benediction. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To who belong glory and dominion? He's just mentioned God would be glorified through Jesus Christ. So to who belong glory and dominion? Yes. Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, would receive glory and dominion forever and ever as they have gathered a people to themselves, as they've drawn to themselves all of these people. And so his, his concluding thought is amen. That means let it be, so be it. May it happen. Let it be like this. Lord, would you be glorified in us, in our little church, in our little gathering, in a warehouse next to a junkyard, in the middle of the Mojave Desert, would you be glorified in us? Lord, would you be glorified in downtown Atlanta as a, as a church gathers around your word to fill a huge auditorium? Lord, would you be glorified in sub-Saharan Africa as a little hut gathers with a handful of people who sing praises to you? Lord, would you be glorified as believers in, in Korea draw together, calling on your name and falling on their knees in prayer? All around the world, God's people are doing this because it's through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Let's pray. Lord, we're gathered as your people. Um, We may not like each other or agree with each other, but Lord, we love each other. And so, Lord, as we gather together in that way, as we pray, as we speak your words, as we serve, as we show hospitality, as we do all of these things under the power, the equipping, the fitting of the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you draw us in so that we might give you glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. And Lord, that's a goal. That's what eternity will be like, is giving you glory through Jesus Christ. So may we get a taste of it now and find it sweet and delightful, sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Lord, let us not be satisfied until we have more of it. And Father, we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus for the glory of God, through the power, through the equipping, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. and stand with us. When my heart is weary When my soul is weak When it seems I can't traverse the trail before me I survey the glory of your agony and I find the will to fight for what's before me cause you ran the race enduring for your glory I fix my eyes on you Founder and the finisher of our faith I fix my eyes on you The soulless in your suffering is my strength As I fight to follow you're my righteous guide And you train me to delight in all that's holy You're my broken body You're my crooked stride Throw off every weight and sin that clings so closely
hospitality and offering food to other people, Jesus is extending us hospitality. He's inviting us in. He's inviting us to his last supper. And he commanded that we continue to do this. Do this in remembrance of me. Can keep doing this. As often as you gather, do this in remembrance of me. And so he invites us to a meal with him. He wants us to sit down and eat with him. And so this morning, as we gather around the table, just want to remind you that this is the Lord's Supper. This isn't Trinity's Supper, it's not Tim's Supper, it's the Lord's. And so at Trinity, we practice what we call open communion. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, even if you're not a member or regular uh, attender of the church, you're welcome to the table with us. You're welcome to join us. And so let's remember what Paul taught us about the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what our communion is. It's a supper. It's a meal for us to remember physically his death and his resurrection until he comes. So can I ask the guys to join me at the table? What we'll do is we're, we're going to pass the elements. Yay, we did that last month, but we're going to do it again. We're going to pass the elements, so I ask you to just hold them, and we'll eat and we'll drink together because it's our supper together.
so grateful for all that you've done for us, for the community that you build in us. Lord, pray that we would deserve to be a community that Holy Spirit would be so at work that we would see this community and be amazed. Thank you for the Lord's Supper to remind us of what this is all about. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Okay. Got some quick announcements. Um, first of all, the CareNet Baby Bottle Drive is still going on, so please grab a bottle or two or three or four, and let's put some cash in there, your change, all the loose change that's rattling around your, your ashtray and your car and your, your desk and weird places and drawers and stuff you can just throw in there, and it really does help um, uh, CareNet quite a bit. Um, so the last day to do that is June 19th. That's when we'll collect the bottles. That's not this Sunday. It's the following Sunday. Or not next Sunday, but the following Sunday. So two weeks from now will be the last day for that. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is the Six Essential Christian Beliefs class is tomorrow night. Um, and we're at the end. So what we're going to talk about tomorrow is how you end. Personal eschatology, what happens after you die. And then the following week, we'll talk about general eschatology, we talked today about the end of all things is at hand, the wrapping up of the age. Um, there's four different views on how that's going to play out in the end. And so we're going to talk about those this week or next week. So even if you haven't joined us yet, if you're curious about those things, please come. Um, and with that, Joel and Ashley have an announcement for us. Yeah, so we are preparing to go to the Czech Republic in July. We'll be there from July 11th to 27th. Um, and we're going to be partnering with a missions organization called Josiah Venture. Um, and they, in turn, partner with the local churches over in Eastern Europe um, and basically uh, figure out what the church is good at and help them do that to reach the unsaved. Um, so what we're doing is a English language learning camp 
um, where we're actually teaching them conversational English. So it's actually to our advantage that we don't know Czech, <laughs> um, which is good, because <laughs> I do not know any at all. Um, so we'll be going over there, and we'll be teaching kids English, um, and then we're also going to be doing basic camp activities and use that as a platform for, for preaching the gospel to them and sharing them um, just the good news of Jesus. We'll also be partnering with the local church as we do that. So it's going to be about half kids who are part of a youth group and half kids who have never heard the name of Jesus before. Um, so if you want to learn more, uh, we have a video we'll post it on Facebook, um, or you could ask Ash or I questions. Yep. Any questions? And then be praying for them, too. Make sure you write that down, right? So your prayers are effective. Be sober-minded, self-controlled, and pray for these guys. And with that, I want to ask Harlan. He's got an announcement as well. So Harlan? That's chronological age 13, right? Okay, good. Then just making sure. Um, and I believe that's it. So, oh, I meant to start with the communication card. So what we're going to do this Sunday is we're going to pass the plates again. So if you're giving online, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, if, you're, um, if you have a check, you can put it in the, in the basket. Um, but also, I ask you to grab your communication card from the seat back in front of you and fill that out and let us know how we can pray for you. And we do pray for you. We get an email every week with the prayer requests, and we will certainly pray for you. And uh, you can just place that in the baskets when they come around, okay? Should have started with that. This is, we haven't done this in a couple years, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get used to it again, I promise. So you guys want to go ahead and pass the plates then? There you go, serving with the strength that God provides, and then we just have to figure out how to do it. Like I said, we're out of practice. Can I ask you all to rise for our benediction? We got a benediction. It's right out of the text. So I'll just repeat what Peter has just said to us. If I can find it. There it is. Uh, through that God may be glorified in everything through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory, dominion, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.